Welcome to the Salty and Bright podcast, a show about how we can better live as God's salt and light today. Today, I'm honoured to welcome Harold Shank to the podcast. Harold was born in a small town in Pennsylvania and came to know God through a loving network of local Christians. After receiving a college scholarship, Harold met and married Sally, his wife and closest companion of 48 years. While living in various cities across the US, Harold obtained a doctorate in Old Testament studies and went on to preach the gospel for over five decades. Today, Harold continues to serve by training emerging church leaders, writing Christian books, and preaching sermons around the world. Harold and Sally have two adult sons and four grandchildren, and currently worship with the Memorial Road Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma, where Harold also serves as an elder. So, Harold, what I really wanted to talk about First up in our conversation about building a firm spiritual foundation was your story. So could you share with us a bit about how you came to know Christ and his church? Sure. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I was in health class, and we, we had this uh, chart that we had to make about whether we took a bath every day and brushed our teeth and combed our hair. It was you know just good health uh, hygiene, and that was new to me. So I, I added at the bottom of the chart, I added uh, my spiritual relationship with God because I, I was really concerned about that. Uh, we, we, we were an unchurched family. Uh, we didn't have a Bible. We didn't pray. We didn't, uh, didn't uh, talk about religion or God, but I had, had all these questions. And so uh, I would you know, check that I'd brush my teeth, took a bath, comb my hair. But my relationship with God was always blank because I, I didn't have one and I didn't know what to do. And so I started uh, looking around, talking to people. And about that time, I, I was uh, going to vacation Bible school, and I had several sisters. So my mother would, you know, let the whole family go so she could have some time off, I think. One, one summer uh, during vacation Bible school, I had a teacher named Mildred, Mildred Stutzman. And uh, her husband was a cabbage farmer and also grew potatoes. Uh, after vacation Bible school was over, she said, I teach a class of people your age on Sunday morning in this same room, and would you come to my class? You know, Sunday morning, I didn't do anything. And so I said, well, I'll ask my mother, but I think I can come. And so I started going to her Sunday school class. I knew nothing about the Bible. So she introduced me to Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'd never heard of these people. And just to fast forward, uh, when I did my doctorate, my dissertation, was on Genesis, which is what I learned from the, the wife of the cabbage farmer. And I, I remember uh, a few weeks after, oh, a few months after being in her class on Sunday morning, I just would walk up the street. It was about eight or nine houses from where we lived. And I'd go into the basement door of the church building, go into the classroom. And then when it was over, I went home. And after a few months, she said, my husband and I would like to invite you to come to our house for lunch after church. And I said, what's church? I don't know what church is. And she said, well, after our class, we go upstairs. And she said, we have, we have a worship service. And so we'd go to that service and we'd go home. So I remember that. I remember that Sunday very clearly. 
Mildred and her husband were fairly wealthy. They had new cars and uh, they had three or four big farms and all this machinery and beautiful home. And we were poor, just, um, you know, had hand-me-down clothes and uh, pretty simple food and rusted out cars. Remember that? And so we were, you know, eating at this table uh, at lunch in our farmhouse and they had cloth napkins. Well, I didn't know what to do with it because uh, we didn't use napkins. We just wiped our mouth and our sleeves. And so I, I thought, I can't wipe my mouth with this clean napkin. And my reaction was, I was so honored. I, I mean, no, nobody had ever treated me this kindly with such respect. And, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And that was my introduction to uh, the nature of God, you know, unconditional love and mercy and respect. Shortly after that, they got a new preacher at that church. His name was Ray Beggs, very enthusiastic man. And I don't know what the first thing he did, but the first thing I know he did is he came to our house and he knocked on the door. And our house was always under construction. It was kind of a, an eyesore. And my sisters went crazy. They said, the preacher's at the door. Harold's in trouble. Preacher's at the door. Harold's in trouble. And, and, and he wanted to talk to me. That, that's what prompted their, their little routine. And he said, I'm starting a class on Wednesday night for teenagers. Would you come? And I said, well, I, I don't do anything on Wednesday night. And I said, I'll come. And he said, well, very good. Uh, you'll need a Bible. And I had got a Bible uh, through Mildred. And he said, you'll need a notebook. And so I, I went up to the, uh, uh, the five and 10 cent store and bought this little notebook. This is from uh, 1961. And uh, went to that class and he taught us to memorize scripture. And so all the early verses I memorized, I memorized in that class. And I have in here, he taught us what he called the plan of salvation. And I'd never heard that before. So one night after class, I had decided that my chart, I didn't know God, didn't know God, didn't know God. It was time to change that. And so I gave my life to Jesus. Ray, Ray Beggs baptized me into Christ and I began my Christian walk at that time. Wow. What a story, Harold. I honestly don't know quite where to start asking you questions, but I was curious about your little chart, you know, where you recorded things about your physical and your spiritual health. And I was wondering how old you were when you started writing about that category of knowing God. I was 12 and 13 years old. You know, children really have spiritual questions very early in life. And I don't know why it struck me when I was 11 and 12, maybe it was vacation Bible school. I, I, I don't know. We, we, I just had no religious training and I had just, I, I had this real emptiness in my soul. The chart was the place where I kept track of it, you know, because every day I would did all these yes, 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 yes. And then no, no spiritual relationship with God because I mean, I, I didn't know God. I, I didn't know how to know God. So, Harold, you always knew, though, that there was this God. You know, in, in American culture, at least at that time, the background was that everybody believed in God. Beyond just those general echoes in culture, I don't know that I knew much more than that. I think it was really more Mildred Stutzman. Years later, 40 years later, I was preaching in Washington, D.C. I told, I told my Mildred Stutzman story in the sermon. And afterwards, this man came up and he said, and he was he was 20 years older, uh, 20 years younger than I was. 
He said, Mildred Stutzman led me to Christ too. And uh, Steve Ballas, I, I didn't know him. I had left Pennsylvania, that little town, probably about the time he was born, but she was still influencing people. And interestingly enough, one of the people that heavily influenced me after I became a Christian was Ralph Smeltzer. And he was a local contractor in that little community. And he had been led to Christ 10 years before by Mildred Stutzman. And so it was probably this one godly woman who just had a heart for looking at people who were lonely and searching, and she had them over for lunch, and, and that, was, that was the beginning of a relationship. The next thing I wanted to ask you, Harold, is given that you didn't grow up in a Christian home, did you have a kind of idea of what a firm spiritual foundation was? And has that changed over the many years you've been a Christian? Initially, there were people that engaged with me and helped me to grow. I remember Ray Beggs, the preacher who baptized me about a month later, said, I need someone for this very important job. He said, um, I need someone to stand at the top of the, the stairs and as the Sunday school teachers come up to take attendance and write them down in a book. And he said, do you think you could do that? And I said, well, I'll, I'll try. And so I had this job and it was, and I felt so important that I was, you know, the one keeping track of the attendance in Sunday school. The teenagers would speak on Wednesday night. And so I was asked to speak. And again, Ray Beggs kind of, uh, you know, helped me. I mean, pretty soon I was asked to lead prayers. People taught me how to lead a public prayer. I met Larry Van Steenberg. What an interesting name, Larry Van Steenberg. And he was the preacher in a big congregation in Pittsburgh, you know, the big metropolis near us. He, he sort of adopted me. And uh, one summer invited me to go to his house. I helped him conduct vacation Bible school. And they had a, a booth at the state fair. And I worked at the booth and he trained me on how to answer questions and how to uh, help people. You know, Ralph Smelter, I mentioned him, he had been converted by Mildred Stutzman. He cornered me in the back of the church auditorium one Sunday. I was a senior in high school. And he said, um, are you, are you going to go to college? And do you think you could be a preacher? And I said, well, our family's poor. And I mean, I just, I can't afford to go to college. And so I'll probably be a truck driver or a farmer or a coal miner. That's what my family members did. And he said, I'll never forget this. If you will go to a Christian college, I'll make sure to pay the bill. Well, uh, he never did because uh, I got scholarships and uh, other sources of in, uh, support, but it, it changed my vision. I mean, I grew up in a poor family in a poor part of the United States, and my future was just pretty much what my family did, coal mining, factory work. But it was at the church that they, they instilled within me the potential of being something different. So uh, there were people like that that were very important. Um, you know, early on, I developed, you know, regular Bible reading and prayer time, and that's been a growing thing. And so uh, even to this day, this morning, early, early in the morning, I read Isaiah uh, chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, and uh, I prayed. I have a, a prayer list that I go through. And so uh, you know, that's, that's been an important part of 
my spiritual foundation, having that, you know, relationship with God. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a song. It's my favorite hymn. It's called How Firm a Foundation, <laughs> which is interesting in light of uh, your theme. Uh, it talks about how Scripture and God are the best foundation for life. And so uh, I committed my life to studying Scripture. I did a bachelor's degree, did two master's degrees, did a doctorate, all in Scripture. I spent all of my life studying Scripture, and so that's that's really the foundation of my faith. That's that's where it rests. I think you mentioned a lot of those real cornerstones of our faith as Christians. You know, those really practical habits of Bible reading and prayer. And I guess just flowing on from that, Harold, I wanted to ask why you think having a firm spiritual foundation is important. I think it's obvious that you do because you keep up those spiritual disciplines, but is there any particular reason or multiple reasons? That's a, a deep question. <laughs> you know, of course, as a minister, uh, having a firm foundation is an important career issue. It's uh, inappropriate to tell other people how to live when you don't live that way yourself. It also uh, overlaps with what every other Christian has, that is a relationship with God. I, I often found that nearly every sermon I preached, I've preached probably over a thousand sermons, almost every one of them was something I was thinking about and wrestling with and questioning in my own life. Uh, when I first started preaching in Milwaukee, I had a hundred questions I couldn't answer, a hundred spiritual questions I couldn't answer. And so I preached a hundred sermons and found the answers to those questions because I knew people would ask me. They would ask me those questions, and I, I wanted to know the answer. And so I did the sermon as a way of, of building my own spiritual foundation uh, to help other people. Deuteronomy 6 would be made the clear statement that if you want to live a full and satisfying life, uh, the best way to do that is to build it around God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's not a matter of earning salvation. It's, it's not works righteousness where you know, I, I live this way in order to you get a certain reward. But rather, it's uh, it's like when you buy something new and it comes with instructions. For me, I like to just try to put it together, but usually I put it together wrong and have to go back and redo it because then I read the instructions. And a spiritual foundation is a little bit like that. A spiritual foundation is the way to avoid the bumps, the bruises, the accidents of life. Doesn't mean bad things won't happen. They do happen. And pain is part of life. Suffering is part of Christianity. But the most satisfying, the most uh, delightful, the most joy-filled life is one that's built on a spiritual foundation. And I, I see that in my wife, Sally. I mean, she's um, a remarkable woman uh, and has a deep spiritual relationship with God. And I see how her joy and her satisfaction really grows out of her, her own spiritual life. And I, I've seen it in my sons. Uh, they both embrace Christ, and I, I can see where they're following that path, and, and it's important to them. So a spiritual foundation is really a, a set of values, and most people are more concerned about valuables. You know, their values are pretty shallow, and, and I'm not trying not to be judgmental, but as a result, I think they have a lot of unhappiness and sorrow. You know, we see lots of lots of people who don't feel they're valuable and worthwhile and significant, but they are. 
And that comes from blessing, Genesis 1, Genesis 12. And people desperately are looking for something to hope for. And you know, the, the COVID and world crises and violence and disease and, and, and hope makes a huge difference. If you, if you don't have hope, you tend to have a lot of problems in life. So Harold, you were just talking about navigating life with all of its bumps and highs and lows and everything. So I was wondering if there have been any practical ways that your spiritual foundation has either changed how you see or how you live your life. Yeah, there'd be lots of things to say there. Um, I think that Christianity is not a faith focused on an individual. It's a community faith. The Greek word is koinonia, which means fellowship. When I was in seventh grade, uh, it's the first time I learned this lesson. Uh, we were at a high school that had an open lunch period, which meant that you could leave the school. And so I fell in with this group of uh, boys, and uh, we went down to this little store where everybody was smoking, telling dirty jokes. And so I, you know, I would go there, and then other other days we'd go to the sh- uh, the, the uh, main street of the town. And my friends were shoplifters, and, and I, I became a shoplifter. And at the same time, I was, you know, filling out my chart, you know, that said I had no spiritual relationship with God. And, and there was this huge tension in my life. I mean, how can I be going down with these smokers and shoplifting, stealing from other people? And yet I'm in Mildred Stutzman's class learning about God. I mean, it was, it was this tension. And I remember, I remember the day that at the open lunch period, I told my friends I wasn't going with them. And I went into the cafeteria, and I knew there was a group of boys that went to church. And I went over. I was a seventh grader. And I said, may I sit with you? And they moved over and let me sit down. I mean, they weren't perfect people, but changing friends made all the difference. At church, I fell in with uh, Harvey and Lynn Smeltzer, George Brown. And we just uh, we did things all the time together. Uh, we'd have sleepovers and play games. And so Sally and I have always, always sought out other Christian people because there's encouragement there. You, you can get isolated where you don't know any non-Christians, and I'm not suggesting that you completely shut out the world, but having other people around me and around us who share our firm foundation has been part of our firm foundation. Yeah, I think sometimes we can go to the extremes of getting so caught up in church that it becomes, or it can become, like a kind of club. But then on the other extreme, like you said, we can kind of just neglect that side of our faith. Yeah, uh, we had, uh, when I was a preacher, and we still do this, we had what we called the 10-minute ministry. Uh, The 10 minutes right before services and the 10 minutes right after services, we would make it a point not to talk to anybody we knew, just to avoid that club atmosphere. I can tell you, uh, in my years of ministry, the people that God has allowed me to lead to Christ are people I met in that 10-minute ministry. You know, they were first time at church or, or uh, you know, second time, and I'd say, I'm Harold, who are you? Are you a member here? Are you a Christian? And uh, they, they were very much like me walking into Mildred Stutzman's class. And so I've always tried to prioritize meeting people at church, because when you go to church, and you're not a member, you're basically saying, hey, folks, I'm looking for God. And if no one uh, speaks to you, 
they'll go go to another place. If I can just shift direction in our conversation, Harold, I wanted to ask whether you'd have any advice, especially for younger Christians who are really seeking to establish their own firm spiritual foundation. One thing I always suggest to people who are seeking to know God is to read one small part of the Bible uh, repeatedly. A lot of times uh, I can and talking with a person sort of sense where they're coming from. And so if they're pretty simple people, I, I often tell them to look at the Gospel of Mark. If they're interested in other people, especially people who are vulnerable, I'll have them read Luke. If they're interested in uh, doctrine and the principles of Christianity, I may direct them to Matthew. And if they're more philosophical and, and very thoughtful people, may have them look at John. You know, more, more mature Christians, uh, you, know, you know, one of the Paul's epistles, Philippians, if someone's an atheist or an ag agnostic, uh, I usually start with Ecclesiastes. But, but I would encourage them to, um, to read those books 50 times. And I know that sounds, um, that sounds like such a hard task, but most of us, you know, listen to music and uh, we'll listen to a song 50 times. We'll go to the same movie five or six, seven times. And so it's, um, it's, it's not outlandish to ask that. Somewhere around the 15th to the 25th time through the book, something happens. God works through those words in that reading, and the, the individual begins to become more godlike. You, you can't read it once, and you can't listen to it on tape once or twice. You have to do it repeatedly. It's it's always striking to me. Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days, had no food, nobody to talk to, uh, no Bible, no cell phone. And he went back to the synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up, and they handed him uh, the scroll. The prophet Isaiah scroll was 25 feet long. And so, you know, unrolling it, rolling it. Well, he knew exactly where to go. He unrolled it to what we call chapter 61. I mean, how, how did he know that? And out in the wilderness, he was tempted, you know, you know, you're hungry, make these stones into bread. You know, you want to know if God is going to protect you, jump off this building. You want to be uh, started a, a worldwide kingdom, bow down before me. And every single time, Jesus quoted a line from Deuteronomy. Now, how did he know to do that? Well, maybe it was miraculous. I don't know, but I, I don't think so. I, I think that I think he just got copies of Deuteronomy or Isaiah from the, the synagogue, and he just read them over and over again. It's been a remarkable story of my own life. I mean, you know, reading early on, reading Genesis, it wasn't until about 10 years or 15 years of reading Genesis that I began to understand uh, that the book of Genesis is this incredible story about an incredible God. You know, I've, I've, I've read Isaiah repeatedly. And there's no more lofty literature anywhere in the world than Isaiah 40 through 55. It buoys me up. It gives me hope. It, it makes my spirit soar. But only after reading it dozens and dozens of times. A, a book, uh, the Bible, has a point. It has a message. It, it's a life-changing experience. And there, there's no other way to do it except, except just to read it over and over again.
that's been my experience, both as something that's changed my own life, and I've also seen what happens when I ask people to, to do that and they do it. And so that would be my number one and my only recommendation. The word of God is powerful only if we give attention to re reading it repeatedly. I have a kind of follow-up question to that, Harold. I was wondering why you think so many Christians struggle to dedicate that time and that effort to reading Scripture regularly. Uh, it's a spiritual battle, and so there are forces of good in the world that want us to do that, and there are also forces of evil that don't want us to do that. I, I really am sensitive to your generation because you're growing up with the internet. I didn't grow up with the internet. You have sources of information everywhere. I mean, on your phone, on your computer. I mean, it's just incredible what's out there. And so I think most of us in the Western world are faced with huge number of distractions. Uh, we, we live productive and busy lives, and those things are always calling us to, uh, uh, to give them attention. So you just have to decide what's important. You know, when you die, uh, do you want to say, well, you know, I made $4 million or I know who God is. There's hardly anybody on their deathbed who says, well, I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd stayed at the office longer. I wish I'd visited 10 more websites. No one says that. No one. And I would add to that, I really don't recommend people read the Bible th through. It's, it's way too long. And parts of it are extremely difficult. And I think people get discouraged and then they quit. And that's the reason I say, no, go to one of the Gospels. It's all narrative. It's story. It's, it's like a movie. And then just read it over and over again. Read it so much that you know the gospel of Mark like you know the way to school, like, like you know your routine of brushing your teeth and combing your hair and putting up your makeup, putting on your makeup, that, that it, it becomes part of you. I, I can't start a day without a shower and a shave. I mean, it, it just doesn't feel right. And I can't start a day without Bible reading. It just doesn't feel right. And so uh, these are habits uh, that we develop. If I had to do 45 things before breakfast every morning, I probably wouldn't do them. That's kind of like reading the whole Bible. But I can do three things, you know, brush my teeth, comb my hair, take a shower, dress. I can do those things. And I can read, you know, two or three chapters and uh, spend 15, 20 minutes in prayer. I can do that. You know, it's, it's kind of a matter of prioritizing life. We, we do what we want to do. We have, all have 168 hours in the week. No one gets cheated. No one gets more. So I think that's probably a good place to end our conversation, specifically about our theme of building a firm spiritual foundation. But just before we wrap up, Harold, I have five final questions for you, which we'll do in a kind of rapid round. So the first rapid question I wanted to ask you, Harold, is what is your favorite Bible verse and why? Philippians 4 is about not being anxious. And I wake up anxious every morning and I have to read that. It's my daily anti-anxiety pill. And the second question is, who is your Bible hero and why? Uh, I'd have several, but Isaiah spoke about uh, the poor and the vulnerable and he had an incredible vision for the world and, and wonderful imagination. And I, 
I'd like to preach like Isaiah. Well, thankfully, he wrote a lot. So you've got a lot of examples to follow, I guess. And the third question, Harold, is when or where do you feel closest to God? I feel closest to God when I have just served another person. And the fourth question I have for you, Harold, is what is an ordinary moment that fills you with gratitude? I try to begin my day going through the things God has given me and being thankful. I, I tend to wake up grumpy and it uh, it's my anti-grumpy therapy. And the last rapid question is, what is one lesson that you think God is still trying to teach you? Uh, God is trying to uh, teach me how to be friends with an African-American man. I can tell you how just on that topic, I could have a whole other conversation with you, but I will leave it there for now because you've given us a lot of food for thought, I think. So those were the final five questions, but I did want to thank you so much, Harold, for making time to chat today. It was such a joy to hear more of your story and I can't wait to share it with all our listeners. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Harold is one of the best storytellers I know. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. That's actually the final episode of our Firm Foundation series. We'll be taking a short production break, but we'll be back with more fascinating interviews super soon. But until then, stay salty and bright.